Good morning, everybody. There is so much to say, and I had amazing slides, and all my stuff was on my slides. <laughs> but, but not really, there's still some stuff to say, right? Because when Brett spoke about the praxis cycle, I, oh, I nearly jumped out of my seat. <laughs> I was so excited. Um, so I had the privilege of, of doing a course that, that, took, that took me through the praxis cycle way of um, thinking about my theology and living out my theology in 2020. I had the privilege of doing that. And I can only but recommend that course to every single person here because it has transformed the way that I see the Word of God. The Word of God has come alive to me because of the way of thinking about that cycle. About who am I? How do I approach the text? What context do I approach the text in? And then, wait a minute, let's look around what's happening. And the Word of God actually has stuff to say about what's happening around us. And so then you start to be challenged, but you say, wait a minute, if the Word of God is speaking in the context, the regional context, and it has something to say for this context, what does that mean for me? And you don't have to become like, you know, like a, a professional theologian or anything. What is God saying to you in your place of work? What does that mean? How do you faithfully live out the Word of God? And I promise you this, that way of thinking about the Word of God has transformed my theology and the way that I live out what I feel is, or, or, or what I come to the Word as and think that I need to be faithful to this Word. Do I, of course I mess up, right? And that's why you must keep going around and around and checking yourself out. And so yesterday, I had an amazing opportunity to attend a conference at uh, Jubilee Christian Church. Are they called Ju Jubilee Christian Church? Jubilee Church really? in, in Observatory, right? Mm. And it was on racial reconciliation in the church. And on one side, my heart felt very heavy. <coughs> Because I thought, are we having this conversation again? <laughs> are we still having this conversation? On the other side, there was so much hope in that space because people were committed to having the conversations. And, and then one person stood up and, and spoke about um, ministry in Johannesburg on the streets. His name is Olefile. And I mean, he really grabbed our hearts when he said, when you, when you are in church and you sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, it's one thing. Right? You worship God when you say that. When you're standing on the streets of Johannesburg and you are singing it in the presence of young girls who are basically being pimped and trafficked, and you sing, open the eyes of my heart, Lord, it's completely different. And, and, you know, that to me is part of this whole way of being real about our faith. Of taking the Word of God into a very concrete space and saying, Lord, what does your Word say? And so, and so sometimes this challenges us, right? Do you mind if I just take this off? <laughs> um, this challenges us because, because what it does to us is it says to us that that serving God and being His people is not just about having Jesus in my heart and in my mind and I'm just happy because one day I'm going to go to heaven and, 
and that's what being a Christian is all about. But actually, that's not what being a Christian is all about. Somewhere along the line, N.T. Wright likes to blame the Enlightenment era. He always goes back there. He says it's all about what's in our head and in our hearts. But actually, it's what we, it's, it's in our lived experience. It's how we live this stuff out. And so this morning, I want to take us um, into our new series. I'm very excited about this new series. It's a journey through the book of Ephesians. And so we're going to have 12 weeks through the book of Ephesians. Quite a long, kind of slow journey. And the reason I'm excited about it is because the book of Ephesians speaks about the great mission of God. And then it speaks about how this great mission affects the lives of the church. That is you and me, right? Not the building. It speaks about how does this great mission of God influence or affect our lives. And I think that is such a challenge for us, especially as, as a church, as we head into Alpha. And as we say, we are going out to share the gospel. We're going to have gospel conversations. We're going to be questioning, kind of grappling and wrestling with questions together and, and allowing the Holy Spirit to draw us closer to the heart of God. And I must confess, when I heard Pete's... Um, testimony about how they um, ministered in the, in the prisons. I have a bit of a confession over there. I had a friend who ministered in the prison, and this was quite a few years ago, and when, when he told me that he's going, he feels God has called him. Of course, I must talk and try and type my password, which is <laughs> the easiest thing. Ah, but, <laughs> so, so the thing is, um, he told me that God had called him into the prison space to share the gospel. And I promise you, at that time, something in me said, no. How can those men, because he went to Paul's more prison, who have, pre who have <coughs> done such heinous crime, perpetrated such heinous crime as, I mean, you can just name them, I don't even, you know. Do you want to go to them and preach the gospel? I mean, this is, I'm confessing here. I really felt in my heart, I said, I said, no. I don't know if I could do that. Since God has obviously changed my heart and my mind, and I just love hearing what, what you guys have done there, that people who I consider to be definitely on the outside, this is the church, and there are people on the outside, and those were the people on the outside, and we were the people on the inside. And in my heart and mind, I don't know how they could make it in here, unless they first transformed their lives, unless they first... And so you know that old mindset of outside, who's outside and who's inside. And I'm excited about Ephesians because Ephesians kind of flips that on its head and challenges us as the church of God to say, who is on the inside and who is on the outside? And who makes us uncomfortable when we think that the love and the grace of God is extended to them? And so there's a lot for me to share because... And when I heard it was load shedding, I thought, this is going to be interesting because I had slides to show you. And, but, but what I'm going to try and do 
is to, I'm going to try and begin to read our portion of scripture, right? Begin to read Ephesians chapter 1. Turn with, turn with me in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 1. I'll be reading from verse 1 to verse 14. And so, this is just our first portion through this book, which we're really going to take our time, and I, I'm so excited to to see how God is going to work in our lives as His people through this journey um, as we just lay the groundwork. And today I want to just create a bit of a frame for our journey through Ephesians. Let's just create a bit of a frame. And every week as we move into the book uh, through the next portion of Scripture, I want us to try and remember a bit of this frame because it will help us understand what the Apostle Paul is communicating to us. So Ephesians chapter 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, in heaven and things on earth. That's verse 10. I want to repeat verse 10, because that's something of a, a theme verse in this portion. It says that, which He set forth, the end of verse 9, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. If you really have been following this up to this point, it's quite a lengthy uh, portion. Like, if you pay attention to the pronouns, I should have said that up front, but maybe if you scan the portion, pay, pay attention to the pronouns, and, and now as I go to verse 10, the pronouns change, or I go to verse 12, so that, so that we were the first, so there's the, 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 the pronouns there, so that we were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of His glory. Now listen. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Okay, that was a lot. But what I do want to say is that I want us to take a step back from the portion, because we'll read it again. But I want us to notice a few things. I want us to notice the context first of this portion of Scripture. And it's not in 
It's not in the Bible, but this is when you go back and you have a look at what did first century Ephesus look like? What was the dynamic around that time? So, so Professor Ernest van Eck um, at South African Theological Seminary um, quotes N.T. Wright as he says that in the first century, dur during the time of Jesus and, and the Apostle <coughs> Paul, there were three winds blowing, or three sources of influence. And, and they were the kingdom of Rome, the kingdom of the temple, the religious Jewish uh, rule, and there was the kingdom of God ushered in, ushered in by Jesus Christ. So these were the influences that were tussling at that time. And it's important for us to understand this context, right? The Roman Empire was in power. So you have heard me say this many times, but I think it's very important to understand this. The Roman Empire was ruling at this time. And what was happening at this time was that the Jewish nation, they were not independent, but they were oppressed under the Roman rule, under this aristocratic kind of society. And so they, what I had here, my slide, which is beautifully depicted, like, I mean, if you can just imagine the slide. <laughs> um, but basically it showed the, the shape of, of, of the social, um, of society at the time, and it formed this pyramid, right? So very, the, the pinnacle being the, 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 the point of this pyramid and the wide base um, forming like those in society who formed the, the, they were the slaves, they were the laborers. These were the people who kind of held up this whole system economically as well. And at the pinnacle of this was the Roman elite. And so what held this pyramid or this system in place on the one side was um, a kind of a religious, um, a religious system that said, this is how it will be, this is how it will always be. And on the other side, just in case you forget the, the, the order of things, there was the might of the, of the Roman military. There to enforce the, the peace of the time the Pax Romana, right, that ensured that those at the top kept getting fed by the sweat of those at the bottom. And so here you had the non-elites at the bottom, so they sometimes owned land. But if they ever had a bad season, this is how precarious and how vulnerable life was at that time. If they ever had a bad season and the crop failed and they couldn't pay their debts, they would lose their land and they would become tenants. Do you remember the parables of Jesus about the tenants? Those are the people. Just to put you into context. So you had landowners then, if they lost their land, they became tenants. If they, if they then failed to pay the, the rent or whatever, they, the taxes, they became day laborers. Remember the parables of Jesus where he said, uh, he called someone to come and work for a day, and then later in the day he called someone else to come and work. These were the day laborers, right? In society. Then there were also the people who were begging. So basically, life was tough in first century Roman Empire, which included Ephesus at the time. And, and the temple elites were permitted to guard the traditions, but also kept the masses appeased, as I said, under this whole peace structure. So, so 
the life of the of the Jewish nation was one of oppression and the and the Pharisees were allowed to to conduct the Jewish religion but that was to keep the people in their place keep the peace so that the people don't rise in revolt and so they had a place of privilege in this whole system so now imagine that that you were at the bottom of this pyramid okay and and here we I want to be careful to say that imagine we were the Jews because later on I'm going to introduce a different a different um, dynamic when I mention the Gentiles so the Gentiles were those people who were every they were everyone who were not born Jewish right so they were Romans they could be Greeks um, and 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 they constituted the majority of the population of Ephesus to whom Paul was addressing this letter okay so, so this was the system of at that time. And I think it's important for us just to be aware of that. So if we turn to our, our attention to the book of Ephesians, where we were just reading, you'll notice that the first few verses says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Brent spoke about insertion. Insertion is also understanding who you are. Insertion is also understanding who you are and how you come to a certain context. And so the Apostle Paul, he knew exactly who he was because in Philippians chapter 3, from verse 5, um, from verse 3 to 10, he, he says, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, now he starts to describe who he was. Remember Saul? And then later um, named, named Paul. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, persecutor of the church, and as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever I have, I count but loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For the sake, for his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So the Apostle Paul, having introduced himself as Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he, he identifies himself as he writes to these believers in Ephesus. At the time, he was in prison in Rome, and he clearly identifies who he is. He's a Hebrew of Hebrews. He's a Pharisee. He's a keeper of the law. He's blameless under the law. And as he comes and as he writes, he says... But he has been transformed by the person of Jesus Christ because all those things, he, co 
which at the time was considered very, very prestigious. He held a, a, a level of respect in society and he was saying, I consider that rubbish for the sake of Jesus Christ. So, so he understands how he comes to this message that he's about to bring to the, uh, the believers in Ephesus, right? So we have the context. We have the Apostle Paul understanding who he is. And maybe here, just to kind of zoom in to our context here, it's important for us to understand who we are in the context of South Africa. It's very, very important for us as Wellspring to understand, because sometimes what we can do, we can just assume that everyone's context is the same as mine. But it's not, it's not true, isn't it? Mm. And so we need to know who we are. We need to identify ourselves and understand that in the context of Cape Town, in the context of South Africa, we have come to this point at Wellspring Church from very different parts. And as we understand who we are, we need to be cognizant of that as we come into the space. Okay. So, so the symbols that were important in the Jewish world at the time that kind of formed the Jewish worldview, how a, a Jew would, you know, I think someone said at, at one point, what is your worldview? It's the, it's the lens through which you look. It's your specs through which you look at the world. And, and the specs through which the Jewish um, nation viewed the world at the time was, for them, the symbols of their worldview was circumcision. So you were either circumcised or you were not. If you were circumcised under Jewish law, then you were part of, of, of God's people. If you were not, you were Gentile. You were outside. Then there was the Sabbath. They obeyed, they obeyed the law of the Sabbath. They had food laws. And what was central to them as tangible expressions of their worldview was the temple, which, which for them signified the presence of God with human beings, and the Torah, the law of God, which came straight from God. Remember when Moses got, got, the, got the law from God? And so these were central to them. And basically the temple and the Torah to them was where heaven met earth. That is how God interacted with people. Through the law. Through the temple. They went to the temple. Remember when we spoke about the Psalms of Ascent and we said that the people would make the journey every year singing these songs. Why? Because they were going to the temple. And so, and so as we... As we, as we look at this, we, we must remember, this is a lot of preamble, but I'm trying to create a frame for us to understand this letter to the Ephesians, right? So just, just kind of be patient with this. And, and when we look at Paul, what was Paul's primary symbol of his, of his worldview? What was Paul's worldview? So, so we just read that Paul had the same worldview as the Jews of the time, and rightly so, because he was a Pharisee, right? But Paul's worldview changed on the road to Damascus. His entire worldview was turned upside down by Jesus meeting him on the road to Damascus. Why? Because now 
the lens through which Paul looked at the world was the cross of Jesus Christ. And so remember that portion of scripture where the apostle Paul says, I have determined to know nothing but the cross and Christ crucified. This was Paul's worldview now. He considered all those other things lost for the sake of, of Christ and what he could and who he was in Christ. And so what is the what is the tangible expression like the temple, like the Torah? What is the tangible expression for Paul of the cross? It was the church of God. And so the tangible expression, uh, Paul's worldview, the way he viewed the world was the church of God, the people that God had redeemed out of the world. And so this is very central to the book of Ephesians. And I think if we hold this just central to, to, to our journey through Ephesians, we will see something that's so, that is so challenging to us and so important for us as a church here in this time and this place. Um, as we understand through the eyes of, of Jews in the first century, we need to understand it through that perspective in order to then faithfully take the truth of the Word of God and apply it in our context, right? And so, and so what was important in the church was that the church was this community where there was unity and there was holiness. The church was a community that was called out of the world, separate from the world, set aside to God. It was a community of people who walked according to a different drumbeat. And we'll see that in the book of Ephesians later on when, when, the, when the instructions are brought to wives and slaves and slave owners. And they were supposed to do things differently. How are we called to live our lives differently from the world. You know, if church, if, if this is just a place where we come and feel good on a Sunday because we're part of this great family, but then, but then on Monday we go out and we're just like indistinguishable, completely indistinguishable from everyone around us. <laughs> like we just fit into society and we also kind of work according to those principles and we also just do well according to the world standards and we also just look after our own family and we also just have the best biggest house and best car how am I doing for time by the way <laughs> I must watch this I, I get sidetracked but, um, but, but do you understand that, that that is not the plan of God that is not the plan of God for his people the plan of God is that he has called the people out of the world to demonstrate to the world what it means to be a new community, a people who are called by God. And so what does that look like for us? And so just to, just to complete a bit of context for us, Paul is writing to the believers at Ephesus. So Ephesus was a bustling city. It was a very busy city. It was the crossroads of major trade routes. It was home to the temple of Artemis, the, the, the goddess of, of fertility, the goddess of the hunt, the goddess of um, wild animals, chastity. And this was referred to the Romans as, as uh, the goddess Diana. And so, and so there was a lot of pagan worship <coughs> happening at that time. It was a society that was flourishing economically um, with all this trade happening, 
They had all these major pagan rituals that was happening at the time. And, and it was in this context that the church was birthed through Paul's missionary journeys. They were mostly Gentiles, Greeks and Romans, but there were also Jews among them. And so in this ancient world, in the first century, and near Ephesus, an inscription was found, just to give you an idea of the language of scripture. So, so we so easily come to scripture, especially New Testament scripture, and we hear things like um, the savior of the world. Who is, who is that? Of course, Jesus, right? Who is the, the son of God? Okay. Um, and maybe the last one, what is the, what is the euangelion? Or what is the good news? The gospel, right? And, and what gospel is that? Jesus died for us. Okay, now let me read you something quickly. Um, there was an inscription on a stone um, found near Ephesus in, in the year, the 9th century before Christ. And it, and it read like this. It seemed good to the Greeks of Asia in the opinion of the high priest of Apollonius of Menophilus Azantus, since providence which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life has set a past, has set in has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus. So who was Augustus? He was the emperor of the time, right? So now so now listen to this and follow those questions I just asked you. Whom she filled providence filled with virtue, speaking about Augustus, she filled Augustus with virtue that he might benefit humankind, send him, sending him as a savior, both for us and our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things, and since he, Caesar, by his appearance, excelled even in our, even our anticipation, surpassing all previous benefactors, not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing. This is very conceited stuff. Do you, do you hear what he's saying? He's saying that Caesar was so good looking that no one could ever think of surpassing him. But then he comes to, I mean, this is all in praise of Caesar. And since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the good tidings, the euangelion for the world that came by reason of him. Do you get what was being said there? It was saying that the savior of the world, of course, was Caesar Augustus. It was saying that the son of God, of course, was Caesar Augustus. And this was all before Jesus Christ came. So, so, so we, we read all of this and we, we just assume, no, of course, people at that time, when, when they heard son of God, they would have thought Jesus Christ. When they heard uh, gospel, they would have thought about Jesus. No, they, they didn't. Um, the Romans at that time would have thought about the emperor. They would have thought about Augustus. And so the good news was, was the peace, the ending of all wars that Caesar would bring, the peace that he would bring. And so, and so in this is something very, very explosive when we now come to the New Testament. And the, and the writers of the Gospels, Mark and Matthew and, and, and Luke um, and John, when they then 
declare that Jesus is Lord, to us that sounds, of course, Jesus is Lord. To, like when they said that, that was explosive news. That was, that was almost political ex like explosives because you were then going against the rulers of the time. So, so when, these, when we read the word and we see Paul speak about, um, so N.T. Wright says there's a bishop that says, like why whenever Paul spoke there's a riot, but whenever I speak, people just sit down and have tea. <laughs> you know, what was so powerful about Paul's words? And it is this. It is the context in which Paul was writing that made his words so explosive. And I just want to, to, to just draw your attention to this. So Paul's words were subversive and explosive on many counts. Economically, he was declaring Jesus Christ as Lord. For the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, first to the Jew and then to the, to the Gentile, right? Isn't that what he said in Romans? But when he did this in Ephesus, remember Acts chapter 19, there was a riot when Paul came and preached the gospel. Why? Because people were making so much money, the business people were making so much money uh, out of making these little statues of Artemis that that, wait a minute, if, Paul, if people stopped worshipping Artemis and worship Jesus Christ, then they would go out of business. And so there was a riot. So Paul's words were even um, causing problems economically, politically, when Paul identifies, as I just said, Jesus Christ as Lord, in effect he was saying Caesar is not. When he said Jesus Christ is Lord, he's saying Caesar is not Lord. We worship a different God. Do you understand how powerful that was in the time? Would we, would we have the courage to stand up and say, no, that's not the truth, this is the truth. And then to maybe suffer imprisonment for that. Even religiously, when Paul says that Jesus is Lord, there's a connotation, or when um, N.T. Wright says this, he says that whenever Paul speaks about Jesus as Christ, in effect, he is calling him the Messiah. And to us, that may sound very normal because we would say, but of course he's the Messiah. Of course he's the one who is the long-awaited one. To the Jewish nation, that was not something to be taken for granted. To identify Jesus Christ as the Messiah was... Remember when Jesus came into Jerusalem riding on a donkey and the people were praising him, saying, Hosanna, save us. The Pharisees were the one who were saying, who is this? Because they didn't recognize him as the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. In Daniel chapter 9, when, when Daniel prophesied that the, 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 the exile would last, the exile would last 70 times 7 years, they were still calculating how long is it until we experience freedom. They were waiting for this military Messiah who's going to come and like defeat the Romans, right? and set them free and, and bring them into their glory as a nation this wasn't the the peasant who was born in galilee like what good can come from nazareth when paul says jesus is the christ and he says it multiple times in this portion he was in effect saying jesus is the long-awaited messiah 
and he would have been on the outside with regards to the religious fraternity of his day. Even sociologically, if we think about, um, he was called to be the apostle to the Gentiles who were considered outsiders, the uncircumcised, those, remember when Jesus was, say, was um, sitting at a table and the Syrophoenician woman came to him and asked him like, to come and do something for her. And he said, how can I take the food from the children and give it to the dogs? That was the way Gentiles were considered at that time. The children were the Jewish nation and the dogs in that context. Were, and then she said, even the dogs eat the crumbs at the table of the children. So, 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 so guys, what I'm trying to do is just to put us into a, a bit of a frame that as we approach the book of Ephesians, let us understand that this was the thinking of the day. And then just one thing as I, as I take us through this portion, I want us to understand that, that when Paul writes now in verse 3 to verse 14, when he writes to the people and he says, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Do you know what he's doing here? He's taking a people who have been marginalized in society as the base of the pyramid, as those who are on the outside, because those who are on the inside of society at that time were the Roman elite. They were the ones who were in control. And the Jewish nation just served their purposes by paying them taxes. The Apostle Paul was saying that you are the ones who are blessed. So he was again turning the whole system upside down when, when Rowan preached from the Beatitudes and says, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those. He was speaking to those who were struggling under this, the weight of this system. And he was saying, the world says that blessed are those who have wealth and blessed are those who are at the top of the pyramid. But I tell you, blessed are you more. Blessed are you. And so, and so here's the thing. That God's purpose and plan, God brings to the center of his plan those who the world relegates to the margins of his plan. I think there's something very significant in that in verse 7 to 10 and he says that um, in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us again the pronouns do you hear the pronouns we have um, he has lavished on us and so there's something very very interesting here as I start to run out of time, but something that I do want us to see is that he keeps using these pronouns where we talk about predestination, and so when we read it, we like to read ourselves into that, right? We just naturally, as Christians in the 21st century, we read ourselves into this portion, and we say, yes, it's us, as he chose us as Christians into his family, to be holy and blameless. And there's nothing wrong with that. But there's a dynamic where we need to understand the context of the first century. Because look at how when he uses all these pronouns and he says we and us and in verse 11 
He says, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Who were the first to hope in Christ? Think about Jesus Christ rising in the book of Acts. Who were the first people to come to faith? It was, it, it was the Jews. It was the Jewish um, believers of the time, right? And so, and so this is who he's addressing in this. But listen to, listen to verse 13. So he keeps saying we and us. And in verse 13 he says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So who, who is the we and the us? And who is the you? Because you also believe. So what he's saying is that we as Jews, we have been God's chosen people. And, and here he's alluding to all the way back to the Exodus, where God redeemed his people. Sorry, there's a lot in this passage. But, but then he says, we have been predestined by God as the Jewish people, right? But then he turns and he says, but you also... And he's speaking to the Gentiles of the day, the Greeks and the Romans. And he says, you also have been brought in. What Paul was doing was amazing at this time. He was saying that those who were considered the dogs, those who were considered the outsiders, God has declared the insiders. And I think in this lies, there's such power in this. For us as the church even. Do you remember when... In the book of Acts, when Peter was called to go minister to Cornelius. Do you remember that? When God brought this vision of all the animals down and he said to Peter, eat. And Peter said, no, that's unclean. And God said, don't you call unclean that which I have called clean. And then he goes and appears to Cornelius and Cornelius is a Gentile. And Peter goes and he, and he shares the gospel with Cornelius and Cornelius accepts Jesus Christ and, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And the word of God says, and the Jews that were with Peter were astonished that even on the Gentiles, the Holy Spirit would come. So here's the, here's the word to us this morning as the people of God. <coughs> when we read the word of God, it's so easy to read just over these nuances that were so powerful in the day. But what does that mean? If we understand it in that context, if we transpose that principle to say that God declares those who are outside, God declares them inside. Because His love is for all people. What does that mean for us at Wellspring in Lansdowne, in Cape Town, in South Africa? Who are those that we feel uncomfortable with? Should they pitch in our service, we would feel very uncomfortable. Because we consider them, maybe we won't say it, but we consider them to be those who are on the outside. Who is now on the outside in our minds looking in? In the first century church, these were the Gentiles. But as we just heard, God has declared them insiders. People from a different racial or ethnic group. We've been having these conversations for so, so long. And we still need to be having them because we are called to be 
a reflection of the family of God, where everyone is welcome. Everyone is inside. And so, are we still thinking about insiders and outsiders racially or ethnically? Are we thinking about them socioeconomically? Are the poor the ones on the outside? The disabled, the homeless, those with mental illness? Or what about, and here's a very, here's a very sensitive one, and this discussion still has to be had in, in our church. What about those individuals who identify as LGBTQ? That the world relegates to being on the outside time and time again. People who feel oppressed, people who feel disregarded, who feel rejected. What is going to be our response to people like this? I don't know. We have to have that conversation. I'm just saying that in the first century when the Apostle Paul wrote this, it was, it was explosive. There were riots when he preached the word of God. What would it take for us to be radically inclusive and welcome those who are considered outsiders and to say you are welcome in the family of God? Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are God who loves us and cares for us. Father, thank you that you have called us in. You have brought us, Lord, we who are from many different parts, walks of life, you have brought us into this family. And we rejoice in that, Father God. We praise you. We glorify you. Father, we, now that we are here, now that we are here inside in the family of God, Father, may we not relegate to outside those who are on the margins. Father, I pray that you challenge us. May this be a source of conversation to us at, at Wellspring. We have not answered these questions. We have not settled a lot of these issues, Father God, especially the controversial ones. But Father, we pray that you give us wisdom. We pray that we would have the heart to say that, God, we want to be faithful to you in our time and in our place. Father, we pray that your name be glorified. We pray that you glorify yourself in this church. In Jesus' name. People, as we go through the book of Ephesians, let us try and keep this frame. So whenever someone comes, let us try and remember this and allow the word of God to challenge us with, um, yeah, with his heart. Amen. Amen.